Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I speak to some of the best and brightest product and product-related thought leaders and practitioners I can find to help inspire all of us make great products, great product teams, and great product companies. If this sounds like your sort of thing, why not make a good life decision and head over to onenightinproduct.com where you can check out all of my other podcast episodes, sign up for the newsletter, join my Slack community, or come to one of my virtual or live networking events to meet interesting new people and have a nice chat about something deep and meaningful. Speaking of deep and meaningful, on tonight's episode, we ask ourselves, can we apply product management principles not only to our product management jobs, but to our lives in general? Given how frustrating product management can be sometimes, is this even a good idea? Can we really use prioritization frameworks to prioritize our own personal backlogs? And is there such a thing as a North Star metric for life? For answers to all these questions and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Milos Belcevic. Milos is a product manager and author who says he used to sell honey and schnapps at a local farmer's shop, showing a sweet and sticky entrepreneurial flair, and says that as a kid he wanted to be a clown when he grew up, only to have his wish granted by moving into product management. Just kidding, Milos, this is a recreational red nose. Milos is here tonight to talk all about his new book, Build Your Way, a guide to applying product management to life, which I must say I'm all for, and it definitely sounds easier than applying product management to work. Hi Milos, how are you tonight? Hi, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I'm interested in the clown thing, but maybe we'll talk about that offline. I want to see if you've still got any outfits or anything kicking around in the uh, back room. But, <laughs> but before we go into the book, I want to talk about you day to day. So aside from your book, you appear to have two jobs. You're a senior product manager at Clarivate and a freelance product manager at TopTal. So are you one of these ever-burgeoning groups of fractional product people, or are you dividing your time up some other way? So uh, at Clarivate, I work full-time as a senior product manager on an API. And for TopTel, I have uh, one client, and I work just a few hours per week. Okay, so you're more of a, an advisory role there rather than kind of throwing yourself into two individual jobs at the same time. Yes. Excellent. And how do you find the context switching between those two things? I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking in a bit about some of the approaches that you can use to survive and thrive in life. But context switching is a big part of things, right? And as a fractional person myself, I definitely see that probably a little bit more, you know, because, because I'm splitting more explicitly. But do you find it quite easy to kind of switch off from one when you go into the other? Or is there sometimes these little hairy moments? Yeah, I think it's a challenge. It's a really uh, challenge sometimes especially before when I worked on uh, multiple projects and wrapping up. So it's been a bit difficult to context switch. Sometimes, even if it's a few hours per week, but you still need to be 100% in with your head. So it's hard to switch here and there, definitely. But just to kind of give a bit of a sneak preview, is there anything in your book that helps people with context switching? Or is that something they have to wait for book two on? Not directly on context switching, but on prioritization and focus, there are a lot of things. Well, there you go. That's the hallmark of any product manager. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But talking about the book then, so you've obviously got your day job, you've then got an additional job on the side, kind of a few hours, as you say. But you've then also found time to write a book. So I do have to ask, first of all, like writing a book is a bit of an endeavor, right? So like, how did you manage to fit that in on top of the other two things that you're doing. And presumably you've got some life to live as well because you're so 
passionate about making life more you know, livable, like we say from the book. So like, how did you manage to even fit that in in the first place? Yeah, well, books sort of naturally came by and I somehow always found time or made time for it, I would say. And uh, it's been a year, took me around a year to, to finish it. And interestingly enough, product management tips that I write about also helped me to write the book. So I use a lot of methods like slicing my work and stuff like that. Oh, there you go. So you've got to make sure you're good at the hyper-slicing and all of that stuff. But the book itself, I mean, it's a product management book, or it at least seems to be a product management book. But as we kind of discussed a little bit already, it's actually something a little bit different from just a product management book. So I guess if you were to try a different product management technique and start thinking about positioning or elevator pitches or something like that. Like, what is the elevator pitch for the book? Build your way and who are the people that should read it? So target audience is too wide, I would say, basically anyone. Well, everyone. Everyone, exactly. Well, there, there's uh, but... something in other books that, that says about, like, you know, niching down and picking your, you know, crossing the chasm, you know, find your little beachhead niche and then expand from there. But you've just ignored all of that advice and Found a better way by just going for everyone, right? Totally. Go big or go home. <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, the elevator pitch would be the best from uh, product management applied for your life. So industries and professions, best uh, practices, tools, tips, and tricks applied to your personal life. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm you know, I'm a product manager. I know what all of those words mean, and obviously to some extent, know many of the frameworks that you talk about because, you know, I, like you, I've been in this world for a little bit. And whilst there was some interesting stuff in the book, in different combinations, like many of the things were kind of familiar concepts to someone like me, right? But I think it's also fair to say that one common complaint for, I don't know, product managers in general is that the other people in their organization, who are, of course, also people living their own lives, they don't really get this product management thing. And it's also possibly arguable that some of the product managers out there don't really get the product management thing and they're still kind of in a period of transformation themselves but is it easy to like if you say as you said that your target audience is everyone is it easy to kind of persuade non-product managers that have no idea about any of this stuff that this is even a book worth reading i would say yes however it would be best if person is inclined towards product management or maybe product interested, I would say. However, it's very basic in the sense that any tools, tips, tricks, processes, they are explained in a very natural and easygoing way. So it's first, for instance, a tip is introduced and described easily, and then it's like applied to life. So no there is no prerequisite of any sort of product management knowledge from before. But there's a, let's call it a positioning problem in a sense though, right? And again, like I agree, you know, it's a, it's not a hard book to read, but at the same time, even persuading people to open the cover. Yes. Like that's, a, I mean, again, for product managers, I'm sure that they'll look at it because they're going to be interested because it kind of tying two things that they are aware of together. But like to get someone of your other people in the everyone, like how do you, position a book like that to people that think that product management is just this weird thing that sits in the corner? I, I think the additional benefit of the book is that it will help them understand their product managers better. So that <laughs> would be the value proposition. Well, there you go. Buy it for your CEO for Christmas. 
But one of the things about a book about product management principles, frameworks, and techniques is that it obviously happens to contain a bunch of product management principles, frameworks, and techniques, like by definition. And of course, all of those frameworks, principles, and techniques can all be used for actual product management as well. And you just kind of touched on it a little bit that this book is kind of written very accessibly. So do you think then that this book kind of serves a double purpose? Like, yeah, sure, you can try to apply these principles to your life. But if you kind of just need to get up and running and understand product management, either as a a new person that's getting into it, or as you say, someone that doesn't have any idea what it's all about, that this kind of helps them. It's almost like an ideal first product manager's book to learn about product management in general. Definitely. I would say so. Yes. And it's interesting because I think by familiarizing yourself with uh, those principles, you, you will learn better if it's something you use in your day-to-day life. Maybe you don't have work experience or you don't work as a product manager, but you will have a framework to use these tools in real life. No, absolutely. But one thing that I often reflect on, it's kind of related to one of the previous points that just made, but this idea around like when I'm going out and coaching PMs or working with product management teams or just doing some of the content stuff that we're all doing on LinkedIn these days, sometimes it feels like we product managers start to sound a little bit like we're, I don't know, like high on our own supply. You know, again, we've got our own terminology, we've got our own phrases, we've got our own buzzwords. We kind of touched on how they don't mean anything to anyone else. So it's hard enough to get non-product managers to care about these frameworks when they're working with us. So do you think that just this general concept, I know that we've you know, kind of touched on the idea that, that they should read, but do you think that it resonates with non-product managers, like some of the things that are specifically in the book, you know, kind of going beyond the elevator pitch and like some of the stuff that's in there? Like, do you think that they'll want to make head or tail of, of some of these concepts and that they'll actually be able to apply them? That's a very good question. I would say yes, because I feel, and maybe this is me just being in product management bubble or like (laughs) living in my own little fantasy world, but it makes sense and uh, it works. And more and more organizations are becoming product-led and product thinking is sort of a philosophy in, in its own. So as long as someone is curious enough to try to give a book a try, I think they will find a lot of interesting and useful tips. And they are very common sense sometimes. So sometimes it's just reminding you of of stuff you actually already know yourself, but you didn't look at them in this context. Or sometimes it's it's about uh, more strictly like product management technique. However, I tried to make the book really useful to a regular person. So beyond like buzzwords and jargon and uh, beyond industry, the goal was to enable and empower people to take sort of product manage their own life in a way. But you say early on in the book, and again, given the kind of the life focus of the book, that it's all around you know, trying to live a better life in many ways, right? But you say as a disclaimer, kind of up front, which is, you know, the best place for a disclaimer, I guess, that you're not a mental health professional and that information here is kind of opinion and it doesn't constitute mental health or any other kind of health or medical advice, which I think is fair enough, right? Like, (laughs) you don't want people thinking that you're something that you're not. But did you feel that there was any kind of 
either pressure to get it right or kind of a worry that you might be saying things that kind of, you know, for what basically weren't true, like just like things that you kind of thought yourself, but that maybe didn't stand up for scrutiny? Or did you have some way to try to validate, you know, good product management term there, try and validate some of the things that maybe you crafted for the book? Definitely. So I had a few peers who reviewed the book and I had like extensive literature list and stuff like that. And I worked, I felt tremendous pressure to make it right. However, I think it's really super ultra important to be uh, strict in terms of like who is a mental health professional or who is a medical professional. Oh, yeah. Especially like nowadays, it's also a buzz where sometimes so we have a lot of like maybe life coaches or and then it's it borders like with therapy. And so it's like. Area, a strict no-go zone for me. No, absolutely. I think it's really important. This is something even when you're talking about sort of mentorship, which is something I'm very passionate about, this idea that you kind of have to know when to cut, you know, cut the line, right? And obviously you try and get them to go somewhere else for the right type of help. But like there are certain things that you're just not qualified to handle. Definitely. But what was it? I mean, we talked a bit, a little bit just now about like, how the book came about in the sense of like it just kind of happened naturally and like you managed to make the time for it which is you know admirable obviously to be able to make that time but what was the kind of the precursor event like the thing that made you decide that this was a book that needed to be like was there always a plan somewhere in your head to write a book or was there something that happened maybe during your life or in your career where you're like no I I should start taking some of this stuff and write some kind of self-help book that applies these things to, you know, quote unquote, real life. Yeah, it's a funny story. So I would say the, the book itself as a project, it was very random. So around New Year, I felt very enthusiastic and I was just like, oh, I'm going to write a book this year. <laughs> however, however, a precursor to that is that for around two years, I have been working on personal like Digital Garden and Second Brain where you build like notes and organize your knowledge and work on it. So throughout that project, I got also interested in, in like improving my life. And in parallel, of course, I'm always interested in improving my career and my work and myself and my skills as a professional. And then I saw sort of when I looked at this body of like knowledge and all those notes and everything, I thought like it's so crazy that it's as if there were two brains. So one for work, another for life. And I, I totally go like around the world. Uh, and I'm not using my product management hat in some things where uh, it would benefit me very much so. And then I realized, okay, this is an interesting uh, subject to explore. And the writing of the book and book itself became a way to sort of also learn it while writing it in a way no absolutely and i want to come back to the learning maybe a little bit towards the end of the interview but i did want to question you before we go into some of the themes from within the book around this idea that and this is something that i to some extent struggle with if i'm trying to maybe do more motivational stuff for example on linkedin or something like that like there's a lot of content out there that you know the kind of hustle bro engagement porn stuff that's going on at the moment where Everyone's trying to turn everything from business into a life lesson and or life into a business lesson and 
it starts to feel a little bit business cringe. And yeah, you end up maybe getting featured on LinkedIn lunatics on Reddit or something like that, because people think that you're just like writing stuff pretty much for the sake of it. Now, obviously, I know that that's not what you've done in the case of this book. But were you kind of concerned that putting this kind of product management, but for self-help for life would make you be seen in some quarters as, as, as that kind of commentator? Yeah, that's a good uh, remark. I, I haven't thought of it so far, but now I'm <laughs> afraid of it. <laughs> oh, now you're so, afraid of it. So now I need to yeah. try and find some uh, coping techniques for you to get over your fear. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find something in the book. But let's talk about some of the lessons from the book then. So you start the book talking all about value, which is something that all product managers are supposed to care about. But it's something that in some cases, even with products, can be somewhat hard to define, like the value of the product, the value delivered, what your ultimate value is to the customer. So how do you define the concept of value? And I guess, especially in the context of your own personal life? That's a very good question. And I think it's maybe the, the most important question in product management and maybe one of the most hardest <laughs> questions uh, there are. So for me, it's almost a philosophical way of looking into things and like their value for yourself and for your uh, fellow humans. And from there on, you try and adjust accordingly. So it's, it's been like, even when I started writing the book, I was thinking about like, what's value of the book itself? And why am I doing this? And for whom? am I doing this and so on? So it's a very uh, good question and I don't have a easy answer. I, I don't have a formula like <laughs> this is A plus B plus C equals value. But I think it has a lot of to do with like the famous stakeholders or uh, with the, the people who interact with us or even ourselves. So the, the value has to do with the perceiver, I would say. But what's an example then of you using the product management philosophical concept of value in a life choice or a life decision? I mean, maybe even the value, like you say, around the book, but like something, you know, like you say, there's no formula, but like an example of maybe some of the philosophies or the concepts or the principles behind even trying to define this thing in the first place. So I would... I think it's a good invitation to take a step back and think about value in what we are doing in general. So if I'm spending time with my friends, so I'm making a choice to go and have a coffee with someone, or uh, I'm making a choice to have an exercise or whatever, to have a drink. This is not just a coffee and it's not just time with friends. It's like what, what we really get, what needs. Uh, are being met. So we should always think about underlying needs that we have. So that's where the value comes in. So it should be like a compass or a guide, guiding star for us. And we shouldn't, sometimes we go on an autopilot and we think about the things or the solutions and not about the problems and the needs uh, that fuel them. But if we assume that we can define the value and the kind of the, the, the overall, like the reason for something to be, you then start to talk in the book about prioritization. Now, obviously, prioritization is another thing that will make at least the product managers listening to this 
immediately happy because that's what we do all the day, apparently. But you also pile through a bunch of prioritization frameworks. Now, I'm not a big fan of prioritization frameworks and this idea that you can somehow pop a bunch of things, a bunch of numbers into a spreadsheet and get a roadmap out the other side. But how would you recommend using prioritization and I guess prioritization frameworks in day-to-day life to help with your decision-making? I think it's a very good point. And personally also, I don't like to rely too much on frameworks as such. And even the book is structured that way that when we talk about prioritization and value, there are different like layers or dimensions to it. So I would say time, uh, energy or effort and risk. Those are like the, the very uh, important uh, nuances to uh, w- what we uh, get. So basically it comes down to what you give and what you get and then trying to optimize for the biggest value with less risk or less effort to to achieve more. But it's an interesting point talking about risk because, you know, risk with a product decision has an impact on a company. And of course, if you're a, a shareholder in that company, then that's even more risky for you. But like risk for your life, it's, I mean, you've only got one life, right? So do you think that it's good practice i mean obviously we always we should always prioritize but do you think it's good practice to try to prioritize everything in your life because there's so much risk and you've often got one chance to make the big decisions go right or do you think that there's sort of some room for just instinctiveness and just you know just going where you go which is obviously what a lot of people do day to day anyway honestly i i feel if you prioritize for a while and you get into this mindset of prioritizing, it becomes like a hunch for you. So many times I don't, I'm not aware of, or I am not consciously saying like, okay, this has this much risk or this, it just happens uh, for me. Uh, However, also when I talk about like experimentation and stuff, it's always Funny because in life it can be, uh, you know, you can experiment with the place you go out, like changing a pub or uh, choosing a hobby, which is not the end of the world if you take a wrong choice. But there are also much more serious choices that we make. So uh, we should prioritize adequately as well and, you know, be less or more risk averse. Absolutely. But another thing that product managers always want to do, although they don't always get to do it, is good old-fashioned product discovery, which you talk about in the book, and then you start going into opportunity solution trees, mapping out problem spaces, and all the classic examples that you'll read in other books like Continuous Discovery Habits and all of the other people that are talking about discovery these days. But what's a good example of how you can apply product discovery thinking to a real-life problem and help you make a life decision off the back of that? based on the evidence that you uncover? So I would say this mindset of discovery is super important, and we should train ourselves not to instinctively go into solutionizing or finding the, the solution right away, but learn to dwell in this problem space or opportunity space or however we, we call it. So it's super important to... There are many techniques in the book and in in general 
like Double Diamond or uh, Teresa Torres is op- opportunity solution trees and etc. But beyond those tools, I think naturally as humans, when there is an, a challenge or issue, we want to solve it and then we jump to the solution. However, we should take a step back and then think about the value which we discussed and see like what, what, what's the root cause and what are opportunities in this space and how we can optimize and prioritize accordingly. So this mindset of discovery, I think, is super important. But isn't one part of the problem with life decisions that hopefully unlike product decisions, although obviously in some cases this is also true for product decisions, especially with emotional founders, emotion does play a big part in your life decision-making, right? No matter how logical people try to be, they're still the same old bags of meat with the same old biases and emotions and triggers and all of the things. So no matter how much you try to do some of this stuff, you're still going to be in a situation where sometimes just your your heart rules your head, right? Is there any way to kind of get past that? Or is that just something you have to price into your decision making? I think being aware of it is one step and the first and most important step. And as humans, we are naturally biased and it's part of the way we are. However, that's why I also mentioned in a few segments, different cognitive biases like anchoring bias or sunken cost fallacy and things that are common in product management world that I think are good to know. And so if I'm aware that I can be biased in a certain way, I can sort of try to overcome it. But it's normal. I, I think it's it would be silly to expect of me to like, now I, 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 I've become enlightened and now I'm the perfect prioritizer, Milos, who, <laughs> you know, makes all the good choices totally objectively. So, but I think it's a very, very important thing. And just this awareness of, and knowing the processes that happen and just being aware of like, how am I making decisions and why am I doing this or that is a huge, huge improvement. Well, another thing you do talk about in the book is you talk about interactions the dialogue and questions between people, the motivations behind them, even touching on things like using the mum test to try and get good feedback. Now, in this day and age, I don't think it's any secret that society feels more polarized and divided than ever. So do you think it's possible to use good product management principles to help us have better conversations with each other and more satisfying interactions? Definitely, definitely. And I think it's so important in, in, as you said, in the polarized world and in this sort of extreme polarities and differences, I think it's super important to find a, a common ground and to take a step back. And I think, interestingly enough, we, we go back to value and those first principles about what motivates us and in the end of the day, we are all humans and we are very similar. <laughs> yeah, we've not been replaced by AI yet, no? Yet, yet. But also in the book, you talk about metrics. And the idea, yeah, there's that classic quote, what can't be measured, can't be managed, all that good stuff. And you talk about North Star metrics and concentrating on and measuring the one thing that matters. But outside of, say, I don't know, your finances, do we really need to measure 
things to know whether we're getting ahead in life? Like, is there some room for more qualitative improvement? I think yes, but also metrics can be fun. This is such a product <laughs> manager thing to say, but I think like, for instance, if I want to lose weight, one metric could be kilos or, or pounds going down in weight. However, another metric can be like, oh, I can fit my uh, suit from like high school or uh, whatnot. So uh, metric itself can be more humane and more natural to people. I know people don't like numbers that much, but you can measure <laughs> also uh, without being strictly like, I want to lose three pounds per month or I'm totally lost. I have no idea how many uh, kilos is three pounds. Yeah, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> but one of the good things about writing a book is you get to research the book, you get to refine your writing, get feedback, as you talked about earlier, and learn new things, which you also talked about earlier. So I guess I do have to ask, given the uh, kind of the vision of the book and the way that you're trying to help people with their lives, like what was the most surprising or interesting thing you learned about either life or product management while writing this book? And that's a very good question. So I, I think the it's not very surprising, but to me, at the end of the journey, it seems like it's been a huge journey. However, it's been made of small steps and small slices, and it made it possible. And it's not something surprising because I know like from product management and in general, like you, you slice your work, you do it in small increments, yada, yada, yada. But this time I really saw it in practice. So it's been like, oh my God, there's a book now. It's, you know, it's a real book here. <laughs> so, yeah. So as with the Agile Manifesto, we should be iterating our way to perfection in life as well. But no one ever wants to say who their favorite child is. But if there was only one product management principle that someone took from the book into their daily lives, whether they're a product manager or not, what would that one product management principle be? I think actually from a metrics portion, uh, there is a, a part on combining your KPIs, key performance indicators with your KFIs, key failure indicators. And it's very interesting for people who are I think people who are reading this book are people who want to optimize their life and they are sort of leaning towards that audience. And sometimes when we optimize for a KPI, if we forget to have a KFI that we pair it with, we can have negative impact overall in the bigger picture instead of just having positive impact. So I think this rule would be very, very good to remember. Well, it's a cautionary tale for anyone who just wants that number to keep going up. Got to make sure that the other ones aren't going down, right? Well, great advice, and hopefully people can take some inspiration from that. But where can people find you after this if they want to find out more about product management, life, product management and life, or maybe even see if they can get you to try to juggle? So I'm always on LinkedIn, and I also have a small website with my M. Belcevic, Milos Belcevic. You can just Google me. And I'm super happy to connect always and have a chat. Oh, absolutely. Well, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, I'll make, sure to link I'll make sure to link that all into the show notes. And hopefully you'll get a few people heading in your direction and doing just that. 
Well, that's been a fantastic chat. So obviously really glad we could get together and talk about two of my two favorite subjects, deep and meaningful life topics and product management. Uh, obviously we'll stay in touch, but yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.